You have two options, I said to the young man. You either wiggle your way out of this crack or you stay in this cave forever. Those are the opening lines of chapter seven, principle number seven, in the art of being human. Let beauty speak. As many of you know, we are plowing through the book that I recently finished and is exclusively available to love good patrons right now. It's, of course, called Let Beauty Speak, The Art of Being Human in a Culture of Noise. And up until this point, we've journeyed through principles like work, leisure, prayer, friendship, freedom, and of course, we began with wonder. And now we're diving into this seventh principle of community. And in just a moment, we'll be back and I'll dive straight into it. But just remember that these episodes are going to get increasingly shorter in length as we, of course, we're trying to entice you more than ever to uh, not only subscribe as a Love Good Patron if you aren't already one, but if you are, to go ahead, set up your account if you haven't already, and dive into these principles more deeply than we can ever do in a podcast at lovegoodacademy.com. And this is our brand new formation platform specifically for Christians like you and like me who strongly desire to not run away from the world, but engage it and redeem it from the inside out. This is what it means to be a Christian in a post-Christian era. How do we truly live the fullness of our faith without compromise, without any compromise to the truth, while also appealing to the existential ache uh, that seems to be ubiquitous with post-Christian culture? So many hearts are just aching for the gospel, and they don't even know it until we first and foremost captivate them and draw them in to the beauty of our lives. That's what Let Beauty Speak is all about. That's ultimately what Love Good is all about. So welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. I'll be back in just a moment as we dive into principle number seven in Let Beauty Speak, community. So I open up this chapter, this principle number seven on community, with one of my favorite stories that I've ever told, and I've probably told it somewhere around a hundred times over the last six years. But it was the summer of 2016. I'm actually looking at a beautiful image on canvas down here in the Love Good Studio in Florida of me and about seven other men in a beautiful cave in the middle of Nowheresville. Gaming Austria. And we're talking about, I don't know, a two-hour bus ride outside of Vienna. And inside that cave, we found ourselves surrounded by inscriptions on the walls dating back to 1617. This was just beyond a beautiful Carthusian monastery. We were climbing these mountains early, early in the morning on our last day on pilgrimage. And there's about 115 of these high school-age guys, believe it or not, from the school that I now work at full-time. Back in those days, I was just a guest that would come and help out with retreats and pilgrimages, but this particular trip, uh, we went to World Youth Day with Pope Francis and about 2.7 million other young Catholics from all over the world. We were in Poland. I think at one point the guys actually went to Italy, although I wasn't there for that part of the trip, and then we ended uh, ultimately at the Franciscan University of Steubenville Study Abroad site in Gaming, Austria, which is a repurposed old Carthusian monastery. And again, just beyond the monastery are these mountains, and inside one of those mountains is a now pretty famous cave, uh, not just because I talk about it all the time, but because, frankly, thousands of people have been inside this cave. But at the time, we're just a bunch of young bucks who don't really know what we're doing, and we decided it was our last morning on the trip, the last morning of the pilgrimage. We wanted an adventure, 
And so we're climbing up these mountains. We're following this this digitized version of a hand-drawn map that had been emailed to me the night before. And we're basically hoping for the best. We don't really know what we're doing. And eventually we're traversing back down the mountain. We get to the mouth of the cave. The directions did not lead us astray. But in this moment, of course, we had a decision to make. Were we going to dive into that cave or not? And, you know, I had heard countless stories of pilgrims, of college students, of even friends of mine who had been inside that cave. And at a certain point, as you're descending into the depths of it, you you come up against this crack. And I had heard about this, and I had kind of imagined what that would be like, especially for somebody who's claustrophobic. And I'm not. I, I don't get too concerned in tight spaces. Although, whenever I'm on a plane, there's nothing I want more than an aisle seat. So, Maybe there's some level of claustrophobia in me. But at this point, we decided, all seven or eight of us, to just dive into this cave and hope for the best. And sure enough, within the first few minutes, we're covered in mud from head to toe, and we're immediately confronted with this crack, Uh, a crack that supposedly would lead us into this massive, beautiful cavern. But, you know, we're just sort of hoping for the best, making an act of faith here. And sure enough, uh, I go first. I'm wiggling my way through this crack. Literally, the the back, uh, my back, is on the ceiling of this cave. My chest is on the floor of this cave as I'm wiggling my way through. And sure enough, one by one, we all make it, and we're suddenly in this beautiful, beautiful cavern. Again, surrounded by inscriptions on the walls dating back to 1617. I look down at the ground, and there's there's holy cards and burnt-out candles everywhere. We just knew that we were in a sacred place, a place where maybe for many people, God had spoken, heaven had touched down. Uh, And I actually then in that moment remember not only stories of college students who had been in that cave while studying abroad, but even monks, Carthusians specifically, who had spent long nights in prayerful vigil inside that cave. It was a pretty amazing experience for all the reasons you can imagine, but we really did have a limited amount of time before we did have to get back to the monastery and hop on a bus and then go on this seven-mile hike and then jump off of a bridge into a beautiful river. It was going to be awesome. We were going to join the other 115 guys on pilgrimage. In this moment, I suddenly realized we needed to hustle. We needed to get back and uh, make it in time for that bus. And so we immediately decide to uh, say some prayers and then head back out of the cave and At one point, we're now working our way back through that crack, except with gravity working against us. And I'm doing my very best to not freak out. I get a little bit stuck, but I eventually wiggle my way through, and I start pulling the other guys as they come through. There's another slew behind pushing them, and we're all just kind of realizing the the seriousness of the moment. Certainly I was, and I think the others were beginning to pick up on it. And this one young man, uh, sure enough, just a little thicker on the waist, he got stuck. He got stuck in this crack, and I look at him. We're you know pulling, and people behind him are pushing, and we're just kind of wondering, what next? Now what? And I'm trying not to freak out. Obviously, as soon as I start to lose control or sort of lose my peace of mind, it was going to uh, spread like wildfire, so I decided to keep it cool. Uh, but at one point, I turned to this kid, and I said, hey, uh, you've got two options here. You either help us wiggle your way out of this crack, okay, or you stay here forever. And sure enough, uh, fighting every temptation to panic, he really began wiggling his way out. And before you know it, all of us are now at the mouth of this cave, and we are running through the hills, as I always say, Sound of Music style, back to this monastery. We show up with seconds to spare to hop on this bus ride, to go on this epic hike and river jumping adventure, and yet we were covered in mud. 
And the bus, ride, the bus driver basically turned to us and said, no, 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 you, you can't get in here looking like this. And so he tells us that we've got to jump into this creek right next to where the bus was parked, rinse off, and at least get on the bus wet, not muddy, but at least wet. And before I knew it, uh, I was passing out on the back of that bus, sopping wet, with a half-eaten tub of peanut butter in my hands, because at that point, my nerves were shot. I was so overwhelmingly hungry uh, and also exhausted. But all that being said, my heart was full. My heart was full. It was the adventure of a lifetime and the bonds that were formed with these guys in that wild adventure are, are bonds that will carry me through the rest of my life. I mean, we are now in the year 2022. It has been over six years since that epic adventure, and I smoked a cigar with one of these guys as recently as a week ago, and I was texting back and forth with two of the other guys as recently as today. I mean, these are bonds that I really believe will last a lifetime, and frankly, it's bigger than just friendship. It's even, in a way, bigger than just uh, brotherhood. It's, it's community that we really tapped into, because there was the, the six or seven of us, of course, in this cave diving adventure, but then there were the 115 of us all associated with this Catholic high school in Tampa, Florida, ironically, the one that I now work at. So there was a profound sense of belonging. You could say a shared association with a larger institution, but also the larger church, as well as all of the spiritual giants who had gone before us and been inside that cave as well. You see, this is so important to remember. In this individualistic age that we live in, we all need community. We need it desperately. This became uh, very, very apparent at the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, when suddenly we were quarantined, where suddenly we were told that uh, isolating ourselves was actually uh, an act of mercy. And before you know it, uh, many of us realized that, wow, we, we actually can't do this. We can't do life alone. That, in fact, we, we depend on community, you know, not just for happiness, but in some cases for survival. And I can say on a personal level that my best memories are experienced alongside others who, you know, share membership to some larger community, sometimes even a larger institution. And I think this really helps us recognize uh, the communion of love that is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like this is, right, the image and likeness uh, that we were, we were created from. We, we believe in a God who is a communion of love himself. And so doesn't it just make sense that all of us long to be a part of a community ourselves? You know, I think it's easy to kind of romanticize what community might have looked like at other points in history, maybe specifically in America. We think about, you know, 1960s, maybe even 1950s, uh, small-town America, right, um, where everybody kind of ended their day sipping, you know, sweet tea on the front porch, and there was, you know, maybe a profound sense of at least belonging to a neighborhood, maybe belonging to a small town. And I'm not saying that things were perfect back in those days. They're, you know, certainly not perfect today either. But the reality is we live in a time of rampant isolation. There's many people who have more of a connection with their screens than they do their families. You know, we have this, you know, rise of the metaverse and this sort of growth in the artificial intelligence industry, uh, we're being told that increasingly we can thrive uh, behind screens, behind goggles, 
that we can live in this artificial reality, what I would call fantasy, and actually meet many of our deepest desires, to find fulfillment in those areas of life uh, where typically we, we would say historically we've only been able to find fulfillment in flesh and blood reality, in flesh and blood relationship. I'd say it's a pretty dangerous thing. It's a dangerous and I would say sinister thing to even begin proposing uh, in these times that we can go at life alone, that we can somehow substitute real flesh and blood community with virtual behind a screen or even behind uh, AR goggle community. Uh, It won't work. It doesn't work. Uh, We need each other. There's no two ways to say it. Uh, There's a great book that I've referenced at other points, uh, either on this podcast or even in Love Good Academy, called Getting Work Right, recently written and released by Michael Naughton. He talks about the primary institutions of society, the ones that are ultimately responsible for that sense of community that we all long for. You know, and he certainly references things like schools and neighborhoods and coffee shops, all as secondary institutions. But he says the primary institutions, the ones most responsible for being a remedy against this culture of isolation, is in fact the family and the church. This is a quote from his book, again, Getting Work Right. He says that like any ecosystem, institutions are dependent on other systems. Institutions need help from other institutions to flourish. When isolated, they tend to implode. The family in particular needs a transcendent source to connect it to the common good and to help it resist the tendency to self-absorption. That source is expressed through the institution of religion, in particular, the church. End quote. See, if the family and the church don't live up to their roles as primary institutions, as those places where we all have a sense of belonging, then in fact they leave behind a massive vacuum filled by, well, social entrepreneurs and political ideologues and what I would call idealistic technocrats. And I think that kind of captures, in many ways, describes our post-Christian culture today. There's an amazing book, more political in nature, called The Quest for Community, and it's by Robert Nisbet. He says, as he's commenting on just the rise of totalitarianism in the 20th century, he says that totalitarianism's success is its burning appeal that it exerts upon masses of individuals who have lost or had taken away their accustomed roots of membership and belief. All of us, again, have to belong to family, to church, to society, to institutions. There's no two ways to say it, that we all long for a sense of home, belonging, community. The difficulty often is finding parishes, schools, workplaces, neighborhoods, friends that provide it, right? Sin divides the human heart. This is obviously one of the the great nicknames of the enemy, of the devil, that he is a divider. He's a deceiver and a divider. And so, too, he divides the hearts of many institutions. What, what does it even look like to, f- first of all, identify healthy community uh, and then go about building it, especially where it doesn't exist? And this is right around page 132 in Let Beauty Speak. I start diving into uh, Robert Cardinal Seurat and this very beautiful but devastating reflection that he gives on our civilization, this was specifically after the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral back in 2019, 
And then I transition into you know, various passages from the rule of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, who again is the father of Western monasticism, but clearly uh, provides a framework in his rule, his rule of St. Benedict, to what true community looks like, what a healthy community looks like. And I really recommend reading that, actually. The Rule of St. Benedict has probably informed my thoughts about community more than anything else. But I do want to close with this. Uh, there's a, a beautiful book by uh, Wendell Berry called Jaber Crow. And Wendell Berry, you know, he's, he's an agrarian guy, a, a brilliant poet, uh, has often um, been held up as one of the, the finest writers of these times, particularly when it comes to really appreciating the land and, and restoring right relationship with God's creation. You know, it's often said that there were you know, many effects of the fall, right? That the, the rupture you know, between uh, man and God, uh, of course, man and, and others, man even in himself, uh, but also mankind and the land. There was a, a deep rupture there, and you know, part of our calling is to heal that in you know, a huge way that that happens particularly in many of my friends' lives, is through homesteading, is through uh, gardening, uh, is through just taking really good care of what's been entrusted to us. And so this is sort of the, the essence or sort of the, the, the mindset of Wendell Berry as he writes a lot of his different novels about small towns, particularly as they went from agrarian to industrial uh, societies. And there's this beautiful passage where his main character here in Jaber Crow, who's a, who's a longtime barber in a small town that he didn't grow up in, he begins reflecting on his inexplicable sense of belonging in Port William, Kentucky, and he writes, I just felt at home. After I got to Port William, I didn't feel any longer that I needed to look around to see if there was some place I would like better. I quit wondering what I was going to make of myself. A lot of my doubts and questions were settled. You could say, I guess, that I was glad at last to be classified. I was not a preacher or a teacher or a student or a traveler. I was Port Williams' bachelor barber, and a number of satisfactions were available to me as the prerequisites of that office. So there we go. Beautiful example of what it feels like to just belong. To be at home in a place. I mean, this principle that, again, is principle number seven in Let Beauty Speak, I call it community, it could just as easily have been called membership or belonging or home. And so getting practical here for just a moment, you know, what does it really look like in our own lives to build community? You know, are there house concerts we can host, book clubs we can start, movie nights that we can pull together with family and friends, coworkers and neighbors? You know, is there a parish, a church close by that we can plug into, you know, more than just showing up on Sundays, but really find ways to, to give back and invest in our local church community? Um, what does it look like to, to sit down over meals with people that we love and really talk about the stuff that matters and to really be community, to, to do life well with others? So this principle of community it appears in the latter half of Let Beauty Speak because it very much depends on so many of the principles that precede it. But, you know, we can't talk about evangelizing culture. We can hardly even talk about mission and vocation without a profound sense of community and belonging. I'd like to close with these final couple of paragraphs here in chapter 7 of Let Beauty Speak. 
Christ is the vine and we are the branches. Our families, businesses, and apostolates are the only encounters that some people will ever have with the gospel. We have to live the principle of community well to reach them and to keep them in the fold. It's the logical result of friendship, the necessary safeguard of mission, and the building block of our final principle of culture. It's essential for those who intend to not only persevere in their faith, but also spread the gospel in our culture of noise. What is holding us back, my dear friends? We have exactly what the world longs for in these dark and despairing times. Let's show them what true community rooted in Christ looks like. All right, y'all, I'm looking forward to these next several episodes. We're going to be obviously beginning to land the plane here with this Let Beauty Speak Season 7 of the Love Good Podcast. Next week, we're going to be diving into our eighth principle of suffering, which is a little bit more intense, going to be a little bit more personal, and certainly going to come with a, a few of my own personal stories as well. So as always, thanks for tuning in. God bless you guys. If you're not yet a patron, if you don't yet have your hands on a copy of my new book, and if you're not yet accessing Love Good Academy, all you got to do is go to lovegoodacademy.com and subscribe as a patron for as little as $10 a month. Uh, you'll immediately get a copy of my book, a beautiful patron t-shirt, and full access to the formation platform that really will change your life, that will you know, bond you and bind you together with fellow patrons across the world who are convinced that beauty is the answer in a culture of noise, and not a beauty in isolation, but a beauty that's inseparable from truth and goodness, and ultimately uh, the love, the holiness uh, that we all long for and that we all are called to, uh, all by God's grace. Have a wonderful rest of your weeks. I'll be back next week again with our eighth principle of suffering. And until then, pray for me and know that I'm praying for you. Peace.